On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday. We are in the thick of November baseball. How about this World Series right now? Game 5 is happening right now over on Fox. We're going to talk about last night. Not really updates of tonight's game. We'll have more reaction to the end of the World Series next week. But hey, thanks for joining us here on Brewers Weekly. I'm Dominic Catronio. If you don't catch the show live, don't worry. It's always available on our website after the fact, WTMJ.com, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Apple Podcasts, of course. You can follow me on Twitter at Dom underscore Catronio. That's C-O-T-R-O-N-E-O. You can see everything we post on there. So, obviously, the Brewers... The big headline came last Thursday morning with David Stern stepping down from his position. We do have some new audio from Mark Adonacio. We didn't get a chance to play last week. I do want to play for you here this week. We are going to talk about the World Series. We're also going to go into award season since the Gold Glove winners have been announced. No Brewers were victorious in that regard. Uh, A quick update on Platinum Glove and Silver Sluggers as well. Looking forward to the offseason, the important dates to know because by the time we talk again, it will be the off season, and Matt Arnold is getting ready to head full steam ahead, running the ship for these Brewers into one of their more important off seasons in recent memory. Trying to make sure that this core can find its way back into the postseason. You assume with health that they can get the job done, but watching what the Phillies are doing, already taking two games from the Astros of the first four in this World Series, it's proving the theory. And I talked about this last week. I know the bite's out of the Apple line. Nobody likes to hear it. But the Phillies are a perfect example. You get in and you don't know what could happen. The Brewers obviously want to do more than just get in. They want to win divisions. They want to get that by. They want to be a team that teams fear. And the pitching staff can certainly help with that. How can they make sure that the offense is going to be able to support them moving into 2023? So we're going to have a little brief preview of what's to come for the offseason. Maybe some needs, some wants, and way too early wish list as well. I do want to open things up, though. I want to put a bow on some of the David Stern's talk. Now, I know it's going to be a major topic throughout the offseason, right? But... We talked we, we talked about David Stearns last week. We played his audio. We played Matt Arnold's audio from last week. If you haven't heard last week's episode, you can go ahead back on your podcast feed as well and check out that episode. But one thing we didn't get a chance to play straight from the horse's mouth, if you will, is Mark Adonacio's uh, audio. So Mark spoke to the media late in the afternoon on Thursday last week. It, we weren't able to get it onto the show in time, but I do want to play a couple of cuts from his press conference with the media. And a lot of this was mentioned in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel uh, with Todd Rosiak's recap, with uh, Adam McAlvey's recap on MLB.com. There was plenty of quotes said, but I just want you to hear straight from him. There's also a very interesting quote coming on later on about his minority stake in Norwich City FC over in England. And you may have heard about his uh, minor investment in the championship level, so one level below the Premier League uh, soccer team uh, across the pond. So we do get comments from him in this press conference as well. But I do just want to start simply with Mark Adonacio on what they were trying to do with David Stearns that and his compliment of him as an executive that, of course, they wanted to extend David Stearns. You know, look, obviously, maybe not obviously well stated. Of course we were interested in extending his contract. He's one of the brightest executives I've met. And we, we manage, uh, we, we invest in companies for a living. And uh, I think we have 
over 400 private company investments in any time. And he's as exceptional an executive as I've seen in any line of business. So the answer is yes, we'd want to, we wanted to extend him. He also continued on. He was pressed a handful of times, was Adonacio, about, hey, what happens if David does leave? What happens if somebody does call you? And the line he says, I don't think about hypotheticals. That's what I teach my sons. Is what I teach my business partners. We don't think about hypotheticals. And he continued to repeat that line. But this is what he had to say about thinking about a potential David Stern's departure and why he feels that it's not going to happen in this advisory role. You know, that hasn't been part of the conversation. What's been very much part of the conversation, I think David expressed this morning, uh, his desire to assist us in transition, his desire to you know, take some time for himself for the first time, really, in depending on how you want to measure it, 11 or 15 years. Uh, desire to, you know, still be part of the fabric of the community in Milwaukee. So I, when I hear this from Mark, it, it, it does sound like a mutual parting of ways. I think back to the Joe Madden, Theo Epstein, when they mutually parted Rays as Joe Madden was manager of the Cubs, of course, and they <laughs> joked about, oh, we kicked back a bottle of wine and had a breakup kind of thing. I don't think it was quite like that. This was a, a little more, you know, understanding slash one side was probably more disappointed than the other, meaning Mark Adonacio was probably bummed to lose David Stearns, but equally excited to have Matt Arnold run the ship. But that's just putting a bow on the David Stern stuff. But I, I was, I do want to get this quote in as well, because we've heard so much about this Norwich City FC a lot of folks are assuming things about it. And let's let's be clear on the facts here. It's a minority stake. He doesn't own the team. He's just one of many investors with Norwich City. And here's his reasoning of why he got involved and why he thinks it won't be a distraction. Sure. We invested uh, in the Norwich City Canaries. It's in the Championship League and uh, European Football League, which is the league right below the Premier League. They've kind of bounced back and forth between the two. Uh, we are a minority investor, uh, so there's a control. Actually, there's a the owners own over fifty percent. I mean, the, the lead owners. Um, there's many shareholders, and so it's an opportunity to really learn uh, that sport. Uh, also, an opportunity to you know share information. They they are doing some things in training that we find interesting. And I think we are doing some things in analytics that they find interesting, but it uh, that's not a distraction for this at all. So straight from the owner, Mark Adonacio, we'll probably hear from him again before the start of spring training, or at least during spring training, but it's going to be a very important offseason. Maybe we'll hear from him for the winter meetings coming up at the start of December. Let's talk about some baseball. Let's talk about the World Series. No hitter yesterday, trying to put a cap on all of the history that happened last night out in Philadelphia. Don't go anywhere. This is your home of the Brewers, WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Rolling on with Brewers Weekly. Game 5 of the World Series is happening right now. I'm Dominic Catronio. Uh, Look, let's talk more about last night. A a no-hitter. Let's also get in front of this. I see a lot of hate. I see a lot of, uh, oh, it's a combined no-hit. Oh, it's, this doesn't really count. Look, 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 look. If you're going to throw a no-hitter in the World Series against a lineup that just 
put seven runs on you the night before and shut you out. I don't give a darn if it's with one pitcher, if it's with four pitchers, or if it's with nine pitchers. You just hung seven runs the night before. And now you're telling me, oh, no, this doesn't count. No, it's because it's combined. Completely, completely, vehemently, adamantly, strongly, all of the adjectives and adverbs disagree with that take. Here's why. Christian Javier, first of all, let me put a hand up real quick. Former Astros employee here. I used to be the AA voice, one of the voices of the Corpus Christi Hooks in 2019. Christian Javier and Brian Abreu were on that team. I've seen the invisible fastball firsthand. And the Yankees saw it firsthand back in June when he was in a combined no-hitter against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium against Aaron Judge and company. And then he makes another start against the Yankees in the ALCS and only holds them to one hit. So once again, this is not breaking news that Christian Javier is really good at limiting contact, and he really only does it with two pitches, right? Fastball slider. That's all he uses. The Phillies and their scouts and their player personnel and their coaches are all aware of this. There's advanced scouts. There's all the charts in the world. Hey, he's got an invisible fastball. He's going to try to elevate. He's going to try to get it by you. And he's going to snap a slider off away. But when Javier had the command that he had, now yes, he had a couple walks, but that's the kind of stuff. Elevated fastballs, it looks so easy to hit, right? You think, oh, it's only 94. How's that getting by him? It explodes out of the hand. He's got some deception. That was so impressive to watch. And for the for you to say, oh, it doesn't count. He only went six innings. The Phillies had plenty of tape on what to expect from Christian Javier, and they still couldn't hit him. And I think the most underrated inning from it all was the seventh inning when Javier exited for Brian Abreu. Now, you may not have heard of Brian Abreu. That's okay. Another guy that was on that Corpus Christi team with me in 2019 Abreu came up in the minors as a starter. They expect him to be a starter one day again in the big leagues. The catch, though, is that to get him to the big leagues faster, I mean, look at this rotation. Where, where would he break in, right? Between Verlander, who's going tonight, Lance McCullers Jr. back from injury, Luis Garcia, Framber Valdez, who goes game six coming up uh, on Saturday now because of the rainout. I mean, where's where is Brian Abreu going to fit in with this with Javier, who Javier has been a swingman Aaron Ashby type role, if you will, this season. He hasn't even been starting the whole season. I think the most impressive inning though came from Abreu in that seventh inning, because yeah, it's a five nothing game. But hey, maybe the Phillies are thinking, oh, okay, finally Javier's out of the game. Let's let's get something going here. Nope, Abreu says, oh, JT Realmuto, see ya, swinging. Oh, Bryce Harper, see ya, swinging. Hundo, oh. Nick Castellanos, chase that slider. See ya, swinging. One, two, three, struck out the side. That was the inning that put the nail in the coffin for game four. Yes, obviously the Astros had that big five-run fifth inning, but for Abreu to come in and say, nope, just because Javier's not in the game doesn't mean you're not going to get a hit. And that's when I knew the no-hitter was going to get completed. And don't sleep on that last play that Alex Bregman made to close out the no-hitter. That was impressive. Short hop scoop. Real Muto runs well, so if he had any sort of bobble, that would have been uh, maybe an infield hit. Great, great performance all around. Think about this. I mean, they've been playing the World Series a long, long time. 118th iteration, if I'm not mistaken. And 
this is only the second time ever there's been a no-hitter in the World Series. The other one, of course, the perfect game by Don Larson in 1956. Only the third time ever, third time ever in postseason play that there's been a no-hitter. And two of them have been in the same ballpark. Citizens Bank, Roy Halladay, our friend of the program, Brian Anderson, was on the call for that one. And how about Dusty Baker? He was the opposing manager as the visitor at Citizens Bank Ballpark for both those no-hitters. As a visitor in Philly when they got no-hit by the uh, by Roy Halladay in the Phillies. And as a visitor, but being the winner, getting the no-hitter against the Phillies. I think that's just a wild moment of history. I don't care that it was combined. It was an amazing pitching performance. And now we look to this series. It's a three-game series. Who cares about what's happened in the past? All right. Best of three. Two of the three will be in Houston tonight, happening right now. When I look at the Astros' advantage over the Phillies, this is where it's going to come in. The depth, the excitement of their bullpen, the depth of their lineup. How about Hensley coming off as a DH yesterday? Because they got no production out of Diaz, no production out of Mancini. They had to make a change, so they're starting a rookie as a DH. And he gets a base hit. He got things going for them in Game 3. Granted, they lost that game, but he actually had it. He had a good performance. So the fact that they can just plug and play guys like that and the veterans haven't been performing for them is just crazy. And they still, yes, Verlander doesn't have great numbers in the World Series, but they still have enough to be excited about with Framber going on Saturday. You know Javier is going to go on short rest on Sunday if they go to a Game 7. I wonder how much they would even go to Lance McCullers Jr., given he would be on four days rest. I would personally stay away from him, but I get it. I would start maybe Luis Garcia, then go straight to Javier for three innings, and then see if your bullpen can take you the rest of the way. Dusty Baker's got some decisions to make, as does Rob Thompson on the side. This is a this is not over. I'm not saying the Phillies are out of this. They have impressed me so much on how well they have played. That crowd is incredible. Bryce Harper continues to stay white hot. I was worried about the break. How is he going to react coming out of this break from the layoff between series? And he hasn't missed a beat. What an entertaining World Series we've been having. Uh, again, Game 6 would be on Saturday, and if necessary, Game 7 would be on Sunday. We've got a lot more to talk about here on Brewers Weekly. We've talked some David Stearns. We've talked some uh, you know, World Series. Let's talk some award season. No Brewers getting gold gloves. Uh, let's talk more about that and the Baseball Writers Association Awards coming up next on the home of the Brewers, WTMJ. Back with more Brewers Weekly after this. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Three, two, one. Welcome back, WTMJ, the home of the Brewers. This is Brewers Weekly. We are in the offseason, but hey, World Series happening right now. I'm Dominic Catronio. We'll have another show next week, and it will be the offseason for our next show, so there will be transactions to talk about. There will be trades. There will be free agencies. There will be non-tenders. We'll be talking more about that a little bit later on here in the show as well. And remember, if you miss any of these episodes, you can catch them in the podcast feed as well on WTMJ.com or uh, on Apple Podcasts. You can follow my Twitter as well, at Dom underscore Catronio. We did get some news on the Gold Gloves this week. Gold Gloves were announced prior to Game 3. Uh, some history in the American League. Jeremy Pena becomes the first rookie shortstop to ever win a Gold Glove. And in case you're wondering, no, you didn't. You probably have heard by now, but Corbin Burns, he was nominated for National League Pitcher, did not win. And 
a lot of folks were shocked, and we didn't really get a chance to break it down because of the Stearns news last week, but uh, Christian Yelich was also nominated for a gold glove in left field. Now, let, let me break that down real quick. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but part of the reason that Christian Yelich was nominated is because there are very strict minimum requirements, like playing time requirements, and where the cutoff resides. It's it's a really big innings. It's over 600 innings of defense. Uh, it's over 130 games. It's quite the arrangement to figure out who's available. And also, remember, back in the day, outfield was just all lumped together. Now it's by individual positions. So there are only six qualified National League left fielders, and Yelich was pretty average. He was negative in some of the advanced stuff, but uh, it... Getting nominated isn't as big of a deal as if he were to win. It went to Ian Happ, which didn't surprise anybody. It also didn't surprise anybody that Max Fried was the uh, gold glove winner for the National League. But I really like what Rawlings did, adding in the utility. But I think they just really failed on the execution of it. I I, I don't know how the voting went this year. It, it was There was a lot of confusing stuff. I also don't know. Congrats to Luis Arias' brother, Ramon Arias for winning the gold glove at third base. He had a great year to advance defensive numbers. Matt Chapman's always going to be a candidate. There's a lot of folks that are confused about this in the voting. It's a very interesting process when it comes to managers have a say, the Sabre defensive index has a say, uh, and then the media has a say. But it's it's a very interesting system. It's not as transparent as, say, the Baseball Writers Association Awards are. We'll get to those in just a second. But let me just run down the list here of the National League uh, gold Glove winners. Mentioned Max Fried already winning it for the pitcher. JT Real Muto, catcher, no surprise. Christian Walker at first base from the Diamondbacks, also no surprise. Brennan Rogers uh, at second base, I think that's very, very well earned and appropriate for him. Nolan Arenado at third, that's 10 straight for him. He's well on his way to Brooks Robinson. Dansby Swanson at short, also not a surprise. Ian Happ in left field. Trent Grisham, the former Brewer prospect in center field, gets the Gold Glove. And then finally, Mookie Betts gets a gold glove and right after everyone was shocked to see that Juan Soto got nominated out in right field, despite his negative defensive run save numbers. And the utility player went to Brendan Donovan. Now, Donovan was also nominated with Tommy Edmond, and Cardinals Twitter was whining that it should have gone to Edmond. Why did it not go to Dalton Varsho? How many guys can play center, can play catcher, can play infield? can play corner outfield. That is the definition of a utility outfield, and he was a positive defender in all of those positions. I have no idea how it was in Dalton Varsho, but I digress. That's the National League Gold Glovers. In the American League, Shane Bieber was the pitcher for the Guardians to win the Gold Glove. Jose Trevino behind the plate. Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first, which was kind of surprising to me, but congrats to Vladito. Andres Jimenez, the second baseman for the Guardians. He's my pick for the Platinum Glove, by the way. Uh, very well-deserved for what he did with Cleveland. We mentioned Ramon Arias already at third base, and already mentioned Jeremy Pena at short, being a rookie winning that. Another rookie in left field, Stephen Kwan. Miles Strawn, center Cleveland, all over this list for the American League. So Kwan wins it in left, Straw wins it in center, and Kyle Tucker, another Astro, wins it in right. And DJ, LeMay- DJ LeMayhew takes the utility role. He's played third base, he's played second base, he's played first base for the Yankees this year. LeMayhew takes on the utility uh, there was a great piece in Fangraphs talking about how sometimes gold gloves do get skewed based on uh, offensive numbers. We need to try to be better about that bias moving forward, and maybe that's why Juan Soto was nominated in right field. But 
I don't want to get into a really deep discussion about that here on today's episode, but let's talk about what's to come. The remaining awards. Still got Silver Sluggers. Uh, that's by position, by league. I don't see any Brewers taking that home. Maybe Willie Adamas, but I imagine it's going to go to Trey Turner just by the playoff bias and the Dodger bias. And I hope it goes to Willie at shortstop. That would be a huge feather in his cap for him for a great season that he had, setting a Brewers franchise record. Uh, it, it's one of those things that Silver Slugger... It doesn't seem like a big deal in the moment, but when you look back on a guy's career and you see that SS at the end of a season talking about a player, like, oh yeah, he did have a heck of a year. So that's still to come coming up after the uh, season, the World Series ends. But for the Baseball Writers Association Awards, that's the Rookie of the Year, the Manager of the Year, the MVP, the Cy Young. Those will all come in consecutive days in two weeks. November 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th. Now that voting is already done. The playoffs has no impact on how the voting goes for the Baseball Writers Association Awards. So, uh, again, the Rookie of the Year will be on Monday, November 14th. Manager of the Year will be on Tuesday, November 15th. Cy Young will be on uh, Wednesday, November 16th. And then MVP will finish it off on Thursday, November 17th. So that's something also to keep an eye out for. I don't see any Brewers being nominated for these awards, including Craig Council, unfortunately. But we'll see who it will be moving forward. It is award season. It, normally November is not World Series season. It's award season. So that'll be coming up. We'll be talking about that kind of stuff uh, in the next coming weeks here on Brewers Weekly. Still to come, I want to just gently preview the off season. We're going to have an early wish list for the Brewers coming up as well. And uh, check in on some of the new manager hires as well around baseball. Don't go anywhere on the home of the Brewers, WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Welcome back, Brewers Weekly. I'm Dominic Catronio here on your home of the Brewers, WTMJ. Uh, off-season mode is about to take full effect for Matt Arnold and company in the new-look front office for the Brew Crew. I just want to quickly lay out what's to be expected and what kind of headlines and maybe some of the terminology you're going to hear coming up starting next week before the next time we chat again because our next show, of course, next Thursday, the World Series will be over and the off-season will be officially in effect. What are some of the things that you're going to hear? You're going to hear three to five days after the World Series, contracts will be tendered, meaning either guys that have team options, guys that are arbitration eligible, teams can choose to non-tender those players, which means they're cut. They become free agents and anyone else has chances to get those players. So keep that in mind. That'll be happening very quickly. Three days after the World Series ends, there's a deadline, I believe it's five days after the World Series, for the decisions on options and things of that regard to decide if they're going to team options. So how does that impact the Brewers? They have to decide what they're going to do with Colton Wong. They have to decide what they're going to do with Brad Boxberger for those team options lurking for the Brewers. And there are buyouts attached to that as well. If you haven't already clicked around on Fangraphs, I know I reference Fangraphs a lot here on the show. They've got the roster resource in the top right corner. You can see all the contract information. You can see buyout information. Obviously, Baseball Reference has this too. If you want to be a stats nerd and stat head like me, that's what I use to prep for these shows as well. So those are the two big options lurking for the Brewers coming up right after the World Series. Other terms you may hear, you may hear the word qualifying offer. What does qualifying offer mean? Basically, when a guy is hitting free agency and a team can decide to give him the qualifying offer, which means it's a one-year deal, but it's the average of the top 125 player salaries in baseball. Basically, what it is, it's saying, look, 
it's meant to be given a chance for the small market teams to keep some of these guys, these you know superstars, if you will, that they know they can't afford, but they're still giving a one-year, very lucrative deal. They know they're not always going to sign on and agree to the deal. But the point is saying, hey, you can afford this for one year. And if the player declines it, that means you're going to get draft pick compensation. And you may be asking yourself, wait a minute, Tom, I thought, I thought they got rid of that draft pick compensation attached to the qualifying offer. That was during the lockout, right? You're not wrong because if you recall, that was one of the last hangups from the lockout back in March saying the player association did not want that draft pick compensation latched to the qualifying offer anymore. They wanted just players to be able to express their value as they see fit. No draft pick being attached to them because the way it works, it works two ways. The team that loses the player that they offered a qualifying offer to, then they would gain a draft pick, and the team that eventually signs that player that rejected a qualifying offer loses a draft pick. And keep in mind, you can only be offered a qualifying offer once in your career. So that's another big caveat to remember moving forward. This year, it's a record number, $19.65 million dollars. Again, it's the average of the top 125 salaries in baseball. And some of the names that are instantly going to, you're going to hear about, maybe a Carlos Rodon, maybe a, uh, a Wilson Contreras will most definitely get a qualifying offer. There's going to be some interesting chess pieces being played by the teams trying to, quote-unquote, keep these players. And who knows if it's actually going to work out in that regard for them. So you're going to hear about that. There's not going to be any Brewers obviously getting qualifying offers this year. Nobody's at that caliber of play or entering free agency in that regard. And when it comes to movement and transactions and activity here in the offseason, a lot of it tends to happen right near the winter meetings, leading up to the winter meetings. You'll hear about the Rule 5 draft, which means players that are not on the 40-man roster are eligible to be quote-unquote plucked from the minor league roster to another organization's minor league roster to just claim it for free, but there's rules and how long they have to stay on your roster and things of that nature. But you'll hear about the the Rule 5 draft that's approaching the uh, winter meetings as well, and that a lot of stuff goes down that first week of December at the winter meetings when everybody's getting together and talking about what they want to do with their teams, talking about rule changes, things of that nature. So it's going to be coming at you really quick here. Just keep your head on a swivel. Be ready for it. And maybe, you know, obviously it's not in Stearns we trust anymore, but now it's, uh, you know, let Matt Arnold fly the plane. As Matt Mark Adonassi was saying, he, he's the co-pilot. He knows how to fly the plane. So let's see what Matt Arnold could do coming up next week. We could be talking about some big moves this time next week on our next Brewers Weekly. So what will those moves look like for the Brewers? Let's talk about that up next here on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. I know it's only November, but let's get the wish list out. Let's talk about what the Brewers are looking for, what this offseason is going to look like for Milwaukee. This is Brewers Weekly. I'm Dominic Catronio. Thanks for joining us here on 620 WTMJ. Remember, you can always catch it after the fact on a podcast form on Apple Podcasts or on WTMJ.com. Follow me on Twitter and follow the uh, the uh, station on Twitter as well. I'm Dom underscore Catronio. We're 620 WTMJ on Twitter. So I've got a couple of things on the wish list here for Matt Arnold and the Brewers and what they need to figure out coming up this offseason. Let's start. I just got three bullet points here, and I want to go through these one by one. And there's no particular order in them, but these are my three main bullet points that the Brewers need to figure out. Number one, the corners. 
What are they doing with Rowdy Telez at first? Are they going to platoon him? Or are they going to try to continue to have him play every day? They need to figure out what they want out of Rowdy Telez moving forward at first base. Because he did run out of gas in the second half of the season, playing every day for the first time in his career. The Brewers do have a tough decision lurking in that regard. You may have saw the headline that they re-signed John Singleton to a minor league deal. He had a great year in AAA. Is he going to be an impact player in the big league level if he were to be called up? No, but when he was signed last year to a minor league deal, we talked about the fact that he is just depth. In the event that something were to happen to Rowdy, in the event that something would happen to even a backup first baseman, that is why you would have somebody like Singleton available as depth in AAA. They need to figure out first base. And I say corners, plural, because they got to figure out third base as well. Let's assume the hypothetical that Colton Wong is going to be a free agent, that the Brewers are not going to pick up that team option, right? So that means Luis Urias likely slides to second base unless Urias stays at third and they call up Bryce Terang to play every day second base. Don't forget, you still got Mike Brasso in the organization. Jace Peterson is a free agent. They have to figure out what they're doing with Jace Peterson. So that's a lot of corner playing time, the Brewers are suddenly going to have in flux moving forward in 2023. They need to figure out what they want on a third base. They are going to be monitoring the market. Are you going to look at Brandon Drury, who's due to be a free agent? Do you look at what's going to happen with Justin Turner if the Dodgers decline his $16 million option? I'm sure he might be too rich for the Brewers' blood, but 37 years old might also be too old for the Brewers' blood after the Andrew McCutcheon experience probably didn't work out for the Brew crew the way they had hoped for. Uh, there, are, There is certainly areas to monitor at third base moving forward for the Brewer crew. So that's my first bullet, the corners. My next bullet, middle relief. I mean, it sounds so simple, right? But there are a lot of question marks. There's health-related question marks with the uh, middle relief for the Brewer crew as well. First of all, let's, let's get this out of the way. Devin Williams is going to be the closer. Don't doubt that for a second. Devin Williams is going to be the closer of your Milwaukee Brewers in 2023. If there was any other situation, I would be absolutely flabbergasted, okay? There are still trade markets to be had. There is minor league call-ups to be had. But when I look at this roster, Brent Suter is obviously back. Uh, I would figure Peter Strzelecki has earned himself a bigger role in the uh, look in the look of things for 2023. Obviously, you've still got Matt Bush under the team organization. I would be absolutely shocked if they non-tender him. He's sticking around under team control, given what you gave up for him at the trade deadline. And then you've got the decision to be made on Brad Boxberger. So some of your more re- reliable guys, you got to figure out what you have. Jake Cousins, is he going to be healthy and ready to go on his way back? Is John Del Gustave going to be ready to go on the way back? There's a lot to figure out in this middle relief. What do the Brewers want? Justin Topa. Do they want somebody else? Miguel Sanchez was outrighted off the 40-man roster, so he figures not to be in the picture moving forward for the Brewers, but we've been surprised before. Middle relief, getting it to 7-8-9 is going to be key because we know Cousins is going to have a major role again. If they bring back Boxberger, he's going to have a major role. Just get it to Williams in the ninth inning. That is the biggest question facing the Brewers in their bullpen. Finally, my last bullet point I wanted to get to here for the early wish list for the Brewers is catcher. Omar Narvaez is a free agent. Is Victor Caratini going to be your everyday catcher? Do you call up Mario Feliciano? He's already on the 40-man. Don't forget about one more name, too. Pedro Severino. He's still a minor league free agent. You could bring him back. He might be requesting a big league deal. Of course, the uh, PED suspension last year really stalled any momentum the Brewers may have of him. Keep in mind, that's something that, you know, he was already in the organization for an entire spring training. He is somewhat familiar with the guys. 
it's not out of the realm of possibility, albeit very unlikely. But Caratini's due to be back. Then what do you do with Feliciano? Do you go out and sign another catcher? Do you try to bring back Narvaez? The offense was really, you know, much to be desired at the end of the season. Catcher's a big question mark, not just for the offense, but remember, this team is built on run prevention and pitching. Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, they want to feel confident with the guy they're throwing to. So that's another area the Brewers certainly have a lot to figure out behind the plate. That's my early wish list. Santa, can you hear me? You hear what I'm talking about? And there's a lot more than that, obviously, too. But those are my main three things that I want to see taken care of, maybe hopefully by the end of the calendar year. I think that's something that the Brewers are certainly very well aware of. We're going to get ready to wrap up the show next. We're going to check in on some big league headlines uh, and get you ready for the uh, final weekend of baseball this year. Don't go anywhere on the home of the Brewers, WTMJ. Let's wrap up our show, Brewers Extra Innings, the last one with baseball being played. World Series happening right now. Game 6 will be on Saturday, and if necessary, Game 7 will be on Sunday between the Phillies and the Astros, which means the next time we chat next Thursday, there will be a champion in baseball. The offseason will have begun, and there are new managers to have figured out. So let's uh, remind you where everything has settled with the dust. The new managers, as it stands right now, Texas hired Bruce Bochy last week, which shocked a lot of folks. He's come out of retirement. Of course, the manager of the three titles for the San Francisco Giants at the start of the 2010s. So he is back uh, under manager Chris Young and his first major hire, general manager Chris Young, I should say, of the Texas Rangers. Uh, Also, Miami hired Scott Schumacher. We talked about that last week. He was the Cardinals bench coach. And the White Sox hired Pedro Griefall, who was the Royals bench coach, as Griefall will replace... Tony La Russa, and you may be wondering, well, wait a minute. Kansas City also had a manager vacancy. Why would they let their bench coach walk? Well, remember, they also let go of Dayton Moore, their general manager. So maybe Griefall felt, you know what? Chicago's got a, a really exciting roster ready to win right now, and an owner that's very aggressive that wants to win right now. So Griefall will be the new manager of the White Sox. And finally, Kansas City announcing Matt Kataro, who is the Tampa Bay Rays bench coach under Kevin Cash. He will be over there with the Royals moving forward. So that's the main stuff. The big question remains with Houston right now because both James Click, their general manager, and Dusty Baker are not under contract for 2023. Is Dusty Baker going to ride off into the sunset if they win this World Series? And Dusty say, I finally got the ring as a manager. It's time for me to hang it up. And then the Astros go from there because it's another hiring period that Joe Espada was not hired. I it's become a Eric B enemy type situation if you borrow it from the NFL and from the Chiefs, right? How is this guy still not being hired as one of the best bench coaches in baseball, of course, with the very very successful Houston Astros? What do they do with James Click? He's still not under the contract. There have been very public uh not so not so secret uh disagreements between ownership and the front office that James Click came in to replace Jeff Luno after the sign-stealing scandal. So that's something to monitor as well moving forward. Uh, and also news from Cleveland that Terry Francona is back for another year. There were concerns that he was going to step away due to health concerns again. Remember, he's missed time in 2020 and 2021 due to issues with his health. But they made the announcement last week saying Tito is coming back, so that's great to hear for all of us in baseball. He is baseball's longest tenured manager. Speaking of guys sticking around, the Yankees are sticking with both Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone for the 2023 season. It's not that surprising when you really do think about it because, one, who are they going to replace him with? And, two, it wasn't necessarily the manager's fault. 
you know, the team had a lot of injuries. The team was not structured well uh, for, to win in the postseason. They're going to let it ride again with Cashman and with Boone. And Cashman's got a really big offseason ahead of him trying to figure out can he re-sign Aaron Judge and try to go get a Carlos Rodon and try to help out the pitching staff as well. So I do not envy that job in the slightest. Baseball, man, these are the last couple of days with no pitch clock, with smaller bases, with no sh- with uh, sh- without shift restrictions. It's going to be very different this time next year. I wonder how it's going to look. I'm excited for it personally. So enjoy some baseball this weekend. we got a lot to talk about coming up next week. For our producer, Justin Pottinger, I'm Dominic Catronio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be right back here next week as well. Until next time, keep on swinging.